The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to an episode of The Crowncast. And it's a, a Wednesday Crowncast, which means it's World Cup Wednesday. And the World Cup has been now slowly chugging along because we're no longer in the knockout stages. We're not getting four games a day. All of us people who love the game of football are having to satisfy ourselves with one, sometimes two games. And uh, what they have have maybe lost in quantity, they've made up for in quality. Because as I've said before for World Cup Wednesdays, this World Cup is drunk and it continues to be so. Here to discuss it with me as ever is Justin. Hello, Justin. Bonjour, Logan. Bonjour, Monsieur. Qu'est-ce que tu fais? Yeah, we're at the end of the French. Yeah, we, for now, we'll talk more about the French you, later. You gave you you gave me the French info. You got the intro. You got to follow <laughs> up on it. Uh, here to probably speak another language, I assume, is Josh. Hello, Josh. I'm tapped out with English. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's really good because I only know like four lines in French, and I'm not even sure that what I responded to Justin was was like an actual response. I believe that I asked him what he was doing, which maybe makes sense. Why are you speaking French? But uh, but either way, the, the French are somebody we are going to talk about, uh, unfortunately for them, not in their language. Or fortunately for them, because we won't No, it's definitely fortunately it. for them. Yeah, it's probably unfortunate. Um, we are also not going to speak in the language of the Dutch or uh, Argentinian Spanish. Uh, but that is who we're going to talk about first, uh, Netherlands and Argentina uh, in the quarterfinals. This one got uh, got pretty crazy. Uh, Justin, you want to you want to lead us in with Argentina Netherlands? Yeah, I mean, look, this looked like it was going to be Argentina coasting for the longest time cuz uh they they score in the 35th, they score in the first half. Uh Molina scores one a combination with Messi. And then Messi gets uh, a penalty in the second half in the 73rd minute and it really looks like they're kind of coasting. Uh, and then uh, Veghorst for the Dutch scores in the 83rd and then scores again in the 90th plus 11. So the, the 111th minute, the, the literal last mi- minute of the match. And it is a, it's a ballsy call to make this uh, because this is off of a design set piece that took everybody by surprise, which is why it works. Um, and, and, you know, absolutely more props to the, the Dutch for giving it a try when they did, uh, we go through extra time, we make it to penalties. Um, and then, uh, Emmy Martinez, who had had a terrible game, uh, has himself an absolutely brilliant penalty shootout, uh, stops, I think almost everything through. I think one of the pens gets through, um, and, uh, uh, Argentina move on. Yeah, this is one that uh, uh, I think Argentina kind of felt like they really had in the bag. Obviously, they were up two goals. And I uh, I am a fan of Emmy Martinez. I think he's done a lot of good. I do think he's been a little bit kind of hot and cold uh, more recently, but he got into his game late as far as keepers develop. Uh, but he had a moment in this one where I believe it's Virgil van Dijk. Uh, maybe Josh can correct me, but... After they have two goals up, he like goes up and he, he grabs the ball and he knocks over a defender getting the ball in his penalty area. Totally fine. You know, exactly what you'd expect your keeper to do. But he like stands over them like menacingly with the ball, like like come and try me. 
Um, and then he gets scored on like seconds afterwards. And I feel like that's not a good look. You know, like when you're that, when you make that sort of display, maybe that's what you want. Like maybe you want to, you know, for lack of a better statement, step on the throats of your opponents. But it, boy, it looks dumb when it turns around the other way. Uh, he does make up for it in the PKs. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Argentina later on because they have since played another game that we will uh, get to later. Josh, anything you want to add on this one? Yeah, I was just going to add that I think it was actually Luke de Jong, uh, a striker oh, who had come on, yeah. that he stood over. And it was even weirder because I believe that Luke de Jong didn't start the game. I think he had just gone on to the pitch, actually, when Emmy stood over him. So it was a really weird thing. And as, a, as another Emmy fan... Um, I did not think it was a good look at all. I thought it was one of those things where it's like, you know, your your brothers beat up your bully and then you stand over your bully and, and say everything because at that point he hadn't had to make a save. Um, yeah. yeah, it was just a really weird and felt very unnecessary in the moment. Um, but it was also just one of the <laughs> one of the first things that were uh, incited during that game because there was um, there was some bad blood before and after that match. Or sorry, I, during I, and after that match. I do believe, is that the one we got a full bench clear on? You don't see bench clears very yes. often in football. That's um, the one. Yeah, there's a bad, bad Argentinian tackle that, that is a foul, and then the Argentinian player clears directly into the Dutch bench, mm-hmm. which is not good. I, I believe it was Enzo Fernandez. Um, and it was bad enough that during the match, Josh and I were talking a, a bit about that probably should have been two yellows in a row. One for the bad tackle, and then one for clearing directly into the opponent's bench, which is incredibly disrespectful to do. Yeah, it's it's definitely bad form. Um, it just an all-around... We kind of thought this was going to be the first real test for Argentina. Um, they get by on PKs... And, you know, we're going to talk about them a little bit later. We say goodbye to the Netherlands, who I think performed admirably, uh, did a pretty good job in this World Cup. Croatia and Brazil. Josh, do you want to take uh, Croatia, Brazil? Yeah, so for a good portion of this game, it looked like Croatia was doing what Croatia does in big tournaments, which is just frustrate the hell out of their opponent and try to take it to uh, PKs. Um, but Brazil does get a very, a pretty late, uh, Neymar goal, I think. Was it in extra time that they got, or in, uh, extra time that Neymar got the goal? It was, I, yeah, I, I want to say it was in like the, yeah. Stoppage it, it time was, for the first half of extra yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. I have it as 105 plus one. So yeah. it was in stoppage time for the first half of stoppage time. Mm-hmm. And it was time. a nice goal too. It's, it's one of those goals where Neymar reminds you how good he is because he he takes the ball and he just goes around the keeper very easily and slots at home and you similarly to argentina you kind of think that they're through you think well that's it brazil's going to be able to go through they had a test but you know it, it is what it is um and then again very very late i think this was like the 116th or 117th minute uh croatia get one back in the dying embers of the game um to, to tie it up and force PKs. Um, and then again, Croatia just did what Croatia does, which is if you meet them in PKs, 
they're going to win. Um, and that feels sort of like how they how they plan out these big games uh, is to get there and, and let that talent shine through at that point. Um, I don't think Brazil's takers were particularly good uh, during this this shootout, but um, you know that they the the heavy heavy favorites at least for me um, it was a surprise to see them go out. Yeah, I was personally shocked. Um, you know, I very much had that feeling of like, okay, Neymar finally got it. That's it. It's done. There's no way Croatia this late in the game legs that dead rally back to get a goal. And and they do. I mean, that's that's why you play to the whistle. Um, Croatia does it in, in penalties. You're right. Brazil's penalties weren't great. Um, the 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 timeless form of Luka Modric, you know, we discussed at the beginning of this. I asked Justin, is Luka Modric uh, old enough to be bad? And his answer was no. Actually, I believe I asked you, how old is Luka Modric? And you said not old enough to be bad. Uh, <laughs> that guy is he is a machine. And he absolutely does, you know, so many countries put so much respect on certain jerseys. And I am really glad that Croatia puts the respect on Luka Modric because he is, I I mean, I I don't know what they're going to do when he eventually turns 70 and can no longer play football for them. Uh, Thankfully, that's a long way away for the the robot that is Luka Modric. But they do end off here. Uh, Justin, any thoughts on Croatia-Brazil? No, I mean, it, it, you like you've both said, Brazil had to be one of the favorites coming in, so it is shocking to see them them crash out here. Um, but you know, we maybe were a little dismissive as a group of Croatia going in, and I think we had all kind of forgotten that this is a team that I think came second last time. You know, is is always threatening. Is all that it's a country that produces very good players that play at very high leagues. Hey, hey, I said they had a shot. Yeah. Um, to be fair, it was me who sold them short this time. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to uh, to place that blame on on Josh. He has enough to answer for. Uh, so uh, I think we move on and I am going to be somewhat greedy here. I'm going to take England and France. Uh, this is one of the few games I don't watch games in bars very often anymore. I mean, that's sort of oh, I'm not going to say it's where everyone starts, but it's where a lot of people start loving the game of football. They find themselves in a bar with all of the people who are just raucous and having a great time. And, and they, they fall in love with the atmosphere and the culture of football as much as they do the the sport itself. And then they grow to appreciate the, the little bits, the unique details of the game. I haven't been in a bar to watch a game like this in quite some time. And it was spectacular. I mean, obviously this was kind of, the headliner, if you will, of the quarterfinals was England and France. And uh, that game, yeah, people were singing the entire way through it. Uh, Olivier Giroud, for those of you who have not heard my previous statements on Olivier Giroud, uh, refuses to die. I do not understand how this guy is so good at finding his way to the back of the net. He does not score the first one for France, but he does ultimately score the decider. Uh, Bukayo Saka, the young Arsenal boy, wins a penalty for Harry Kane. Uh, Harry Kane goes in, takes the first penalty brilliantly. And uh, another penalty is won. Uh, one of the first games I've seen in the World Cup this time be awarded two PKs to the same team. And Harry Kane goes up to take the second and misses the target entirely. 
there was a lot of shock going through that bar. There were a lot of England fans. And I think that there is an expectation on a name like Harry Kane that if your penalty gets saved, it's because you hit an incredible penalty and the goalkeeper did something spectacular, right? The goalkeeper did something that is just sometimes you, sometimes the other guy gets to be good too. I don't think anyone had even considered the fact that Harry Kane might just miss, like might just not hit the target. And uh, there was a a level of singing from the French supporters and a level of just depression. It felt like the the air came out of that game for the English supporters and possibly even for the England team uh, when Harry Kane missed that second one. Uh, it was the falling of a talisman moment. And I'm trying to keep my personal biases out of this because oh. having been an Arsenal supporter for a long time, not a huge <laughs> Harry Kane fan. What I can say is that it seemed to me like once Harry Kane missed that second penalty, they didn't look like they were going to recover from it. Uh, ultimately, they don't. Olivier Giroud's uh, goal is enough to to send the the English squad home, and it's a pretty decent showing from them, Josh. Um, unlike you, I did not take the high road. Um, I cackled <laughs> um, incessantly for a couple minutes after Harry Kane skied that penalty. Uh, it is nothing against the England team. I was rooting hard for for Bukayo Saka. There are a lot of players, other players on that team who I really enjoy watching. Phil Foden, I hate to say it because he now plays for Chelsea, but Raheem Sterling is even someone. I don't know if he's even back with the team yet. Um, but the point is, is I could not keep my personal feelings out of it. And watching Harry Kane sky that um, tickled me to no end uh i will say um and i don't want to get too far off the the being track here um but in euro 2020 uh notable players missed penalties and were absolutely crucified by the english media i have not seen that happen to harry kane and that is also something that has rubbed me the wrong way with this whole thing. And one of the reasons why I can't be too sad that England has gone out is because, in my personal opinion, if you're going to kill the likes of Sancho and Rashford and Saka in 2020 for missing a penalty, this is even more egregious to me because this is your star man, supposedly, the person who's going to, your captain, who's going to bring it back home. And he does this. In my opinion, none of them should be absolutely ridiculed for this. Penalties should be made, but they are often missed. It's a very pressure-packed moment. Um, but I did just want to throw that in there, um, again, without getting too sidetracked. But I have not personally seen the amount of anger from English fans at Harry Kane as some of those other players. Um, and I will just let everyone wonder why that might be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to take the... I'm going to take the high road here and I'm going to say, I hope that the reason the backlash has not come out is that the backlash to the backlash of the last backlash was enough backlash that the backlash is now so backlashed that uh, no one wants to deal with the backlash. Uh, if you didn't follow all of that, what I'm actually saying is that I hope what happened last time with uh, Sancho Rashford and Bukayo Saka uh, really suffering what I don't think anyone can call anything other than abuse uh, for their missed penalties. I hope that that was enough of a wake-up call 
to the soccer world that that everyone is watching. The fans are watching. The people around the world are watching. And we aren't going to put up with people hating on players anymore. I mean, we're not going to put up with abuse towards players. Obviously, we all want our team's guys to do good and our rivals' team's guys to do bad. But abuse is just no longer going to be accepted. And I hope this is a an image in the first step and not what may have otherwise been implied. Uh, Justin? Yeah, I, I think you guys have said what needs to be said around that. I, the other piece that I do want to mention, because I think it needs to be called out, is this is the razor-thin margin upon which games are decided because England absolutely played well enough against an incredibly good French side to win this match. The only reason they don't is is really this, you know, is this miss is what really hurts them. But they played well enough to get the opportunity to get the miss. And, you know, I think it's been, there has been a long stretch, I think, where the English side has kind of not quite met expectations. I think in this one, they, they did meet expectations. They ran up against a very good side and they gave that side everything they could possibly handle. And so it's a very young squad for England. I think there's a lot to be positive about, to feel good about moving forward. Yeah, and I I do think they're going to have to potentially solve the striker crisis for the next cycle as well. But uh, I think that's something we can get onto after the World Cup is over. Uh, Let's move on, shall we? Uh, We leave England and France, and we go into the last of the quarterfinals, and that is, of course, the wonder team that is Morocco. And uh, I took the last one, so I'm going to give this back to Justin. Yeah, uh, the Moroccans take on the Portuguese. This is a situation where the Portuguese were, of, you know, going to be the favorite side. It's it's sort of expected, even though Morocco does come in with some real talent, um, you know, between Romain Saiz, uh, Hakim Zayic, uh, uh, Ashraf Hakimi. They, they do have talent. Then they did what Morocco are now sort of known for. They snatched their goal and they defended their Moroccan butts off. Um, and it, it, you know, they were by far the hardest side to break down over the course of this tournament. Um, I think that what we're looking at is, uh, you know, a side that was just defensively solid the whole way through and knew how to hit uh, teams. And it absolutely worked. They stymied the Portuguese attack, even when, I guess, you know, you at this point bring on Cristiano Ronaldo when you're looking for a goal. And surprise, Ronaldo didn't um, come through for them. But, you know, uh, uh, the, the Moroccan team didn't back down uh, in any way in this one. Yeah, I know that there are a, a subset of people who are huge Ronaldo fans. Um, there are a subset of people for a lot of things who who really feel strongly about one particular player. Uh, I, I feel like the Cristiano Ronaldo thing is done. I feel like it kind of needs to be done. I think that he uh, he chose to go out in a somewhat disgraced ball of flaming glory, and that's what he got. Um, uh, the whole... The story at the end of this game, I was so upset to see the Morocco team has fought against all odds. You know, we talked about in the last game, one of their key players in their uh, starting center back role had literally gotten injured 
and was hobbling his way through the last minutes to, to play Spain. Uh, this Morocco team has done something now that I believe no other African nation in the, the history of this tournament has done. And the cameras decided that they wanted to watch uh, Cristiano Ronaldo pout his way down the tunnel, not go support his teammates, not go say thank you to the fans that have been supporting him for years and years and years, uh, that he wanted to go pout his way down the tunnel alone. And what what bothers me about that situation is not just the imagery that is is there, it's it's how it's chosen to be covered. It's not the joy from Morocco, and it's not even the the Portuguese the good in the Portuguese side. It's it's one guy who's pouting, and that's where the cameras decide to follow. Um, a fantastic job by Morocco. They they earned the win. I saw a fantastic map that had Spain and Portugal, and uh, over Spain it said Morocco, and over Portugal it said also Morocco, and then <laughs> over over the little corner of France that you could see in the map it said soon to be Morocco question mark, um, and we'll we'll get onto that later. Uh, Josh, thoughts on uh, Portugal Morocco? Yeah, no, I, I'm along the same lines with you. Is is I think Morocco as a squad has also been a little hard done with the way at least the American. Um, media over at Fox has covered that team. They've been very much portrayed as these plucky underdogs, and they were underdogs, don't get me wrong, they they were. But when you actually look at that squad, you have Ziyech, who plays for Chelsea. You have Hakimi, who plays for PSG. They have a player who plays for uh, Bayern Munich. That squad is littered with players who are in the top five leagues or just outside of those leagues. I'm talking about, you know, Turkey, uh, Netherlands, that type of thing. This is not a squad of players made up of purely a domestic Moroccan league. Um, so I, I think that that narrative was overblown and, and a little unfair to them because I think that they came in with a game plan from the manager that was really well executed. They bought in and they said, we're not going to be able to have an open game against the likes of Portugal or the likes of Spain and win. But what we can do is we can use our talent Um on the break and we can try to try to get out of tight spaces and pick our moments and they just did that exceptionally well um and then the only other thing i want to say is i feel very sad for i believe his name is chadira um he got he's the player who got two yellows in like four minutes at the end of the morocco portugal game which meant he missed remember this yeah today's and i think both of them were very uh soft yellows the second one especially to send someone out in a world cup quarterfinal for that second yellow um i thought was a ridiculous call from a ref who i thought had done a pretty good job all game um so i just wanted to point that out i think that's a real shame for for him because i do think that i mean i i'm not going to pretend that i know very much about the moroccan team as a whole but i do think that he was getting minutes for them especially off the bench um and so you know it's a big big loss for him personally but also for i think that squat today well, and right. it's even more confusing, I think, when you when you look at the fact uh, when you look at some of the other incidents across the round of sixteen around the the quarters, you know, the there has been a, a a pretty wild degree of inconsistency in the application of the rules of the game uh, across a lot of these matches, and you know, it it does happen. The officials are people, but again. Uh, uh, Enzo Fernandez should have been sent off for Argentina, and he 
I don't even know if he got booked for for the horrific tackle. Yeah, unfortunately, it is one of those things that uh, when you get a bunch of referees from all around the world and you have a a tournament like this, sometimes the refereeing, well, I say sometimes, it apparently doesn't matter where in the world you go, the refereeing decisions are going to be questioned. I do think that there is probably some cause for a little extra question in this case. Uh, That being said, Morocco goes through. Uh, It is a fantastic story. Justin, you said something really that I really liked last time, and that is Morocco will feel like they won this tournament no matter what. So with that in mind, I think maybe we go right to the next Morocco game and we go Morocco-France. Uh, and Justin, I'm going to... Did I, Justin, did I give you this one? Yeah, let's go, let's go to Josh for Morocco. Let's go, for Josh. Yeah, so this... Um, I, I think that the scoreline, the final scoreline is 2 nothing. France advances, but I think... It's a little bit of a deceiving scoreline. Um, if you watch that match, Morocco was very much in it. Um, and for long stretches, looked the more likely, I thought, to, to score. Uh, France scores a very early goal, I think, within the first five minutes or so. Um, a really good volley from uh, Teo for, for, uh, Hernandez, who's filling in for his injured brother. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, Morocco's sort of game plan that we've seen this entire World Cup, which is, you know, defend like all like all else and hit them on the break is sort of up in the air at that moment. Um, and I thought they did a really good job of, of pivoting for for long stretches of that of the second part of the first half. They looked really dangerous going forward. They were getting corners. There was a bicycle kick in the box from a Moroccan player that I think Lloris might have gotten a fingertip to that put it onto the post. Um, it would have been the goal of the tournament um, if that had gone in. And, and this continued into the second half where, where Morocco continued to look pretty threatening, especially down the wings. Um, they were giving France all sorts of trouble down there, getting crosses in, getting good balls in. Um, but they just could not find that equalizer. Um, they got close. There was a couple goal line clearances. And then France... Um, late in the game, uh, around the 80th minute or so, get their second win. Mbappe has a really nice run into the box. His shot is deflected, and it falls to uh, the feet of a French player. I do not know, actually. Um, I heard his name, and I've completely forgotten it because I had never heard of him before, but he... Colomwani. There we go. Uh, (laughs) But he basically has a tap-in at the back post off this deflection to seal it for France. Um, And you could kind of see, you know, the Moroccan players, the the air go out of them, and understandably so. Getting getting one goal back was going to be challenging enough. Getting two back in the space of 10 minutes was going to be pretty impossible for them. Um, But again, I, I think if you're Morocco you walk away and you feel disappointed and you you're heartbroken in the moment but there's no doubt that this was a hugely successful tournament for them and i think anyone outside of the countries that were still in it were rooting for for morocco to keep advancing yeah they were suddenly everyone's home team and one thing i think you pointed out really well is it was kind of worst case scenario for morocco their game plan this whole time has been be defensively incredibly solid and try and get people when you get opportunities. And then if it goes to PKs, fine. Um, a goal in the first five minutes is heartbreaking. You know, this is a team that I don't think has conceded a goal to anyone that was not themselves in the entire tournament. Is that correct? Correct. Like until that? this one. And, until, yeah. and then in the first five minutes, you know, when everyone's still settling in, all of a sudden that, that plan A 
goes out the window. And I have so much respect for the way they switch to plan B so effectively. I'm going to read you some stats that, again, we know stats don't cover the whole picture, but they do often give us a little bit of color to what we were seeing. France's stats for this uh, for this game, 14 shots, three on-target shots. Uh, Morocco's shots, 13 shots, three on-target shots. Possession, 38% possession for France, 62% for Morocco. Uh, passes, they got, uh, Morocco had 572 to France's 364. Their pass accuracy was 86% to 80 for France. The fouls, Morocco committed 11 fouls to France's 10. When you look at these stats, France didn't play Morocco off this field. I mean, Morocco had the large portion of possession, but the same number of shots on target was just as, you know, fair play as France was and had one less wildcard shot that was pointless. Morocco took this game to France. And I I am so impressed by this team by the fact that they they lost plan A immediately and went, no, that's fine, plan B. If we don't have our plan A, our plan B is we're going to go believe in ourselves and we're going to play France at their own game. And it almost worked. It almost worked. Uh, Justin, thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you got to admire uh, the the Moroccan manager, uh, um, Walid Regraoui. Regraoui? I'm absolutely butchering that name and I apologize to him. But, uh, it, you know... He he absolutely went out and said we we can play against this squad. He wanted to, you know, like you guys have said, play what Morocco had played. But as soon as it wasn't going to work out that way, he found the spots to attack France, and and he may have given blueprints to, you know, the the team that France will meet in the final uh, uh, for where week because pressing them and and attacking up the flanks. Morocco found space and found positivity and, and found opportunity and were really, really unlucky not to at least get one in this. Um, and, you know, again, I, I'll go back and talk about these fine margins, right? Because France, both of Fr the French goals were deflections that sort of fell kindly and were well taken after they fell. Mm -hmm. But if they don't fall kindly... You know, Ter Hernandez and, and uh, Kalamanawi, they don't have the opportunity to slam these home if the deflections don't fall kindly. This is not clean shots. This is scrambling balls over the goal uh, when you happen to be in the right place for the rebound uh, or, or to collect the deflections. So, you know, very fine margins. That bicycle kick, like Josh said, would absolutely have been the goal of the tournament. And fine margins keep it out. Uh, fine margins, get it in for France. And that's the difference between France going to the final and Morocco. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it is absolutely fine margins. But I think we will hop over now to the Argentina game. Argentina playing Croatia. And this one, the scoreline itself does not come out as fine margins. Uh, I will say, having been very focused on this game, because I always thought Argentina had a chance. I always thought they were an outside chance. When we started this competition, I would have put them at like fourth or fifth, most likely to come home with the World Cup. 
Um, unfortunately, the team they're going to be meeting in the finals is one of the teams I would have said was number one or number two, most likely. But they have reached the point now where they have the chance. And the thing I think that impresses me most is, yes, Lionel Messi is dragging this team, kicking and screaming by its ankles. But it's not just Lionel Messi anymore. And we're going to have to talk Julian Alvarez, who does get a brace in this game. I think you could argue that one of them is very fortunate. Um, in fact, I think you'd have to say one of them is very fortunate. I don't think it's an argument. But I also don't <laughs> think you can say anything other than when fortune fell to him, he took his chance, which I think is important. Um, Lionel Messi, still good at the football. Still very, very good at the football. Uh, he has a move to get uh, their third goal where he just absolutely turns their uh, left back in in what I did not think was possible. It's one of those times where you just watched Messi do messy things and you sort of just have to throw your hands up and go, that how do you how does that get defended right it, it, the defender did everything right and then Messi just existed and pulled a magic trick and he was behind him in in the space of a half a second where nobody thought it was going to be possible and that was it uh, the the that's the third goal for Messi um or the third goal assisted by Messi Julian Alvarez I do believe is the one who taps that home I personally saw a really really good game from Argentina in this and they look good. They look really, really good. Um, I, I hope that what this is for me is the, the statement that I see the rest of the Argentine team learning how to support Messi, not just be there with Messi. And I mean, I think there's probably some talking points about, about how they go into the finals after a 3-0 a win over Croatia. Uh, Justin? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, much like Morocco, Croatia, what they wanted was to set up, absorb pressure, try and maybe hit on the break. And, you know, if necessary, you go to extra time, you go to penalties and you look for the win that way. And, you know, much like Morocco against France, they weren't given that opportunity. Uh, you know, it's great that you call out Alvarez. Uh, he's also the one who wins the penalty. Uh, in the, I think, 34th minute that Messi scores. So Alvarez was very difficult to handle. You're right, that second goal is just a ton of luck. I think that thing bounced back to Julian Alvarez like three different times. Um, but he still slots it. Um, it. We knew this Argentinian side was good. They are full of very good players playing for very good teams. Um, yeah. I don't know that they go into this actually as the favorites, but I think, you know, referencing back that, that Morocco being able to find space to attack France, I think Argentina could be better at hitting those spaces than Morocco was. And it almost worked for Morocco. If, if they can get into those spaces, I think they can make it work. Now, that said, they are about as defensively fragile a lot of the time as France can be. Maybe not necessarily in this Croatia match, but but you know we've seen Argentina be poor at the back. They, they lost to Saudi Arabia to, uh, at the start of this tournament. So it's going to be a great final. It's very spicy. I'm very excited for it. I'm hoping that it, this is like a seven-goal shootout of a final for all of us. 
uh, watching. How about an eight goal shootout that then goes on to PKs? I don't know that I want to see Emmy Martinez and PKs again because you guys might be Emmy Martinez fans. I do not like him. (laughs) Um, No, I I do think that there's there's a little bit more to discuss about Messi himself. But first, I am going to push it over to Josh for thoughts on Argentina versus Croatia. Yeah, I'll say I did not see much of this game. Um, Once Argentina went up, especially once they got that second goal, I kind of checked out. Um, I it just it just did not feel like Croatia was going to have it in them to come back from that. The only thing I will add is on that third uh, goal, the messy run. There is a sideline video of that run making the rounds on the Internet. If you have not seen it. I would encourage everyone to go Google it and find it because it's someone, I don't know, three feet away from the pitch. And it's a video of Messi just absolutely turning the Croatian defender and getting by him. Um, And it really shows you just how good that guy is right there. I mean, you can see it on TV when you're, you know, up in the sky. But when you see it from that angle, it just really hammers it home. the, The special, special talent that he is. Yeah, he he does not seem to be getting worse with age. Maybe just a little bit slower, but clearly he still has some pace. Uh, I'm going to say one last thing about Argentina, and that is Argentina start this tournament losing to Saudi Arabia 2-1. And I think that set a somewhat unfair tone to Argentina from that point forward. Maybe it was what they needed. Maybe they needed the wake-up. But after that, Argentina 2-0 Mexico. Argentina 2-0 Poland. Argentina 2-1 Australia. Argentina in PKs 4-3 over the Netherlands. Argentina 3-0 Croatia. This team has just been getting better. It's they there have been a lot of teams that we've looked at and gone, ah, they've scraped through. They've been playing this defensively solid game and they're hoping to get through it in PKs. We've said that a lot. Argentina hasn't done that. There was one time they slipped up pretty bad. Uh, and another time they slipped up and, and got through it in PKs. But otherwise, they're one of the few teams who has basically outright won every game they've played. Um, in three of them, they're shutouts, where they score two goals or more. Those are pretty good numbers. I mean, they're as good as anyone else in the tournament. And they haven't played nobodies. Um, Croatia and the Netherlands are good teams. I do think France is probably the best team in the tournament right now, and they're going to have a real, real fight against France. Real quick to Justin, do you think the best thing that can happen out of this World Cup is Argentina win the World Cup and Messi retires immediately? <laughs> like, well, so can, can, can you go out with more of a bang than that? You, you absolutely can't. Messi has publicly said that this Sunday will be his last World Cup match. So win or lose, this is it for Lionel Messi at the World Cup. You, you would absolutely love, like the storybook ending here, obviously, is he goes out winning. Um, I, I don't know if they can do it, though. This, this Argentina side, you know, you ran through a lot of the teams that they faced. I don't know that they faced... A, a team that is as good in attack as France is. And I think that there are weaknesses in defense. I think the Netherlands showed you that late, you know, especially mental lapses. And Emmy Martinez, as good as he is as PKs, is bad 
in open play. He has get conceded, I think they said five goals in this tournament and made three saves prior to the Croatia match. It, it, he's bad in open play. Um, and so it will be very interesting to see how they can how they they can handle defensively uh, France. I, again, I think they can hit France with their attack. I think they absolutely have enough talent there. Um, but I think this World Cup has also shown us that at least in in football at the world stage, uh, defense does not win championships. Yeah, scoring goals ultimately is what wins the game. Uh, Josh, your your thoughts on Argentina and whether or not uh, they come away, whether or not you think they can pull it off against uh, France and cement Messi's legacy with that trophy? I mean, I think it just boils down to when you have Messi, you always have a chance and not just a chance, but, you know, I think he himself pushes you to a 40% chance just by himself. Um, I, I think your point about how this team has sort of grown into this tournament is a good one. And I think what we're seeing is an Argentina team compared with some of the previous, especially World Cup ones, where it just feels more balanced. Um, I mean, really, when you move past Messi on this team, there's not a huge number of super well-known players. I mean, Alvarez, I believe, you know, was just signed by Man City and you have some other good, really good players, but you don't have a, a Kunaguero or or some other players that were those world-renowned stars. And I think that's actually helping them um, in the in the balance of this is Messi's team. We don't have to worry about Aguero. We don't have to worry about someone else feeding Angel Di Maria because he's coming off the bench. This is Messi's team. We are we are going to go how he goes, and so we're going to play in a way that facilitates his brilliance. Um, with that said, I am personally going to take France just because I think that they are better at almost every position, and they're deeper. Um, some of the guys that the French can bring off the bench. I mean, they brought off a guy who on a guy who I'd literally never heard of, and he scored a goal in the World Cup. Um, so I, I just think that it speaks to, to that depth. Um, but again, I, I don't think that this is a game where I would be shocked if Argentina won, because as you said, they are really gelling. And if it weren't for that sort of collapse at the end against the Netherlands, and, and it was a collapse, I think we'd feel even stronger about them because without that, you would have a team that was just sort of breezing through this tournament. Yeah, I think everything takes a bit of luck. I think there's absolutely a an element of luck that comes with with any deep run into anything, right? Whether you are uh, in your your league and you you run away with the league, it means often that you got lucky and your players stayed healthy. If you are in a tournament and you run away with the tournament, it usually means one or two times you tripped up and it didn't kill you. Um, whereas a lot of people maybe don't get, well, a lot of teams maybe don't get that luck in a tournament. You trip up once and you're gone, right? I, I weirdly feel like Argentina has slipped at the right times. They slipped in the beginning. They straightened their crap out. They got a little bit, you know, out over their ski tips, but they didn't fall. They recentered themselves. They took out Croatia. I, I weirdly feel like they are coming into this, you know, messy aside just as a team really really feeling like hey we've made our mistakes we're gelling really well right now i i think they're going to be terrifying to play against all of that said 
I still think it's an argument for the greatest of all time versus the greatest of right now. Um, Kylian Mbappe is terrifying. There are, there are players in this game who we talk about the ability to go through the gears. And that's not just that they have a very high gear. You know, even at Charlotte FC here at home, we talk about um, Mackenzie Gaines, who has an incredibly high gear, right? Kylian Mbappe can be in sixth gear and suddenly be in reverse. And then he's suddenly in third, and then he's suddenly in reverse, and then he's suddenly in sixth. And he goes through those gears so fast that I really, really, really struggle to see how Argentina's defense is going to be able to handle him. That being said, if you can find a way to sort of stifle Kylian Mbappe, maybe the next most dangerous person on the France team is Olivier Giroud. And while he does score goals in cups, he is renowned for getting on the end of crosses. And and that is ultimately stoppable. Do you see a way, Justin, that uh, that... You know, maybe maybe France gets I'm not gonna say shut down here, but maybe killing Mbappe isn't isn't the option and, and they have somewhere else they can go. Well, I mean, absolutely, because I think I think teams sell out to stop killing Mbappe, and I think that England did that. Killing Mbappe was quiet in the match against England. Uh for Killian Mbappe. Uh, it, but France still won. You know, I, I think, echoing Josh's comment, their depth is so good. I think when you can look down that that roster and look at guys, um, I think that outside of Mbappe, it, Antoine Griezmann has been phenomenal in this tournament. Seconded. Yeah, he's uh, been really, for, really for good. France. He has been a... Like, a he has been a maestro in the midfield, pulling those those uh, strings and putting people like Giroud in position, breaking breaking up play, turning play around, making dangerous passes. And so, I just now the other side is I I think that players like Alexi McAllister for for uh, Argentina, which let me tell you, such an Argentinian name, uh, Alexis McAllister. But, He's been there uh, for generations, apparently. <laughs> Uh, he's been playing phenomenally well. Nicolas Otamendi is always stable there. Um, they have Lissandra Martinez, who personally I think is uh, a monster in defense in more ways than one. But um, I just, I, I think that the French team is a little too practiced at everything. I think that they're a little too familiar with each other. You know, I think that uh, there's no witch doctor curse this time around or anything like that. Uh, so I just, I feel like this feels to me like France 3-2. Okay, and I'd love uh, to see seven goals, but I think it's France 3-2. Is that going to be your final prediction, France 3-2? Yeah. All right, Josh, your final predictions. What do you think it's going to be? Forgive me all the Argentinians. France 2 nothing. You know what? I'm going to be the bad guy here. I'm going to do it. I, I, The story power is too good. And I believe in the power of good stories. I think it's going to happen. I think Argentina win this. I think it's going to be Argentina 2-1. 
and uh, and Messi's finally going to get his his big shiny trophy to add to his clearly empty trophy cabinet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is, I think it'll about do us. Uh, you will get one more uh, Wednesday uh, World Cup Wednesday from us as we review what has happened over over the whole tournament and maybe pick out some of our favorite moments, favorite plays, etc. But we are going to go ahead and leave it there. So as oh. ever, if you have chosen, oh. Justin? Real quick, uh, I, I do want to send our condolences out to uh, Morocco and Croatia, not just for uh, losing in the semifinal, but also for having to play the utterly pointless third place match on Saturday. Uh, that thing, FIFA, please ban it. Please stop playing the third place match. Nobody cares. You don't play a fifth place match. Don't play a third place match. Stop it. Uh, I do think that's a good call out. I think it's a good shout out, so I'll allow it. Uh, so I will say... Uh, as ever, if you have spent your time with us today, thank you so much. We love you, and we will talk to you again next Wednesday. Goodbye.